Thank you. Good morning, Willow Park Church. You know, we're family. We are. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, we're family, man, or woman, or... And you know what they say about family? You don't necessarily have to like them, but you do have to love them. So uh, I am really excited to be here uh, speaking with you this morning, and I want to apologize for those of you who thought you would be hearing a preacher preach with an accent. I know many of you enjoy that about Phil, so Phil and I discussed this, and we decided this morning, I would speak to you in a Scottish accent. How many of you would love to hear me speak in a Scottish accent? And as you know, Scotsmen have to speak from the belly with lots of volume, but I, I won't do that. Uh, but you know what? I am really excited. When Phil asked me to speak on Mark 2, uh, Mark 2 has the story of the paralytic in it. Uh, the man who was paralyzed and his friends lowered him down from the ceiling of the house that Jesus was in. And, and we're going to learn about that. When I, when I looked at it, I thought, oh, great, we're going to talk about community and friendship and support and how we gather around each other to help care for each other. And uh, I actually uh, connected with Steve and said, hey, Steve, I want to lower a stretcher down behind the stage with sort of a fake body on it as an object lesson. And Steve went, yeah, yeah, we could do that. No problem. We'll strap one of the young people to a gurney. And... <laughs> but then I said, uh, okay, Lord, help me to hear what, what you want me to pull out of this. And he said, you're going in the wrong direction. He said, I've got something very specific that I want you to, to bring that is really the true essence of uh, Mark 2 this morning. And it's a powerful and profound truth that will set us free in a new way. And some of you, today is the day you will experience new life for the first time. Discover God's grace and goodness and life and light in a brand new way. So very excited about what he wants to do. I'm going to ask the Lord just to help me to express his heart this morning. So Lord, we thank you that you are here, you are alive, you are real, you are true, you are love here today, and you want to set people free. You want us to know you and know your love and your life, and thank you that you have broken the power of sin in our lives so we can know the love of our Father. So Holy Spirit, would you move powerfully and profoundly among us today and help us to hear the truth that sets us free. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Okay, so Mark chapter 2, I'm going to talk about two components of Mark chapter 2, and the first one has to do, as I said, with the paralytic. And uh, what happens, Jesus is in a house, and his fame is spread, and there's crowds galore, and there are a bunch of guys who had a buddy who was paralyzed, and they believed Jesus could heal this guy, could heal him so he could walk again. So they put him on a stretcher, and they try to get in the house, and they can't get in the house because of all the crowds. So they figure, and these are ingenious guys, they must have been entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurs are very innovative. They said, let's go up on the roof, let's pull the roof tiles away, let's create a big hole, and let's lower this guy down in front of Jesus so he can get healed. Talk about good buddies, eh? That's the kind of buddies I want to have in my life. So that's what they did, and they pulled the roof tiles away, and they created this big hole in the roof, and they lowered the man down in front of Jesus. And that's where we want to pick up the story. So when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow say that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that I, Jesus, the Son of Man, have authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to them, I tell you, he says to the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Then we go on to the story of Levi. Levi is a tax collector. And in Jesus' day, tax collectors were notorious, nefarious, dishonest, disgusting people in the eyes of the religious community because they were extracting taxes and oftentimes very dishonestly, taking way more than they needed to. So they were not held in high regard at all. They were despised. So Jesus walks by Levi, a tax collector, and he says, Levi, follow me. I want you to become one of my disciples. Follow me. And Levi does. Leaves his table and follows Jesus. Throws a party that night. Invites all of his buddies. Now what kind of buddies do you think he hung out with? Other nefarious people. So this party that Jesus at is full of sinners. And the religious leaders who tended to follow, they were like the paparazzi for Jesus, following him around, analyzing everything he does. They have a problem with that. So while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, he asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous I have come to call sinners. I am calling all sinners. And the story of the paralytic and the story of Levi, the essence of it has to do with sin. So the paralytic, picture that. You're his buddies, you lower him down, and Jesus says, I forgive your sins. How would you feel as his buddies? You'd think, dude, you missed the boat. He can't walk. Like, we didn't go to all this trouble for you to forgive his sins. Heal his legs. We want him to walk out of here. And Jesus understands, you know what? His paralysis won't kill him. But the terminal illness known as sin will. He was infected with a terminal cancer, a terminal illness called sin. And the wages of sin that we'll see are death. It's separation from God. We can't know the life and light and the hope and the truth of God. We can't know his love and everything we've been created for because sin is the barrier that creates that separation. So Jesus said there's something far more important here than his paralysis. It's his terminal condition called sin. And I can deal with both. I can forgive his sin so he can know the love of his Father and enter into the life that God has for him. And I can heal his legs. Watch this. Boom. And then with Levi, a notorious sinner, Jesus just comes out and out and says, I didn't come 
for the righteous. I came for sinners. I am calling all sinners to come and follow me. I've come for the people who are messed up. I've come for the people who are broken. I've come for the people who know I got issues. I'm struggling with tons of I'm discouraged and hopeless and despairing. Man, I'm, I keep hurting people and I'm screwing up. And Jesus goes, I'm looking for screw-ups. I'm looking for sinners. I'm looking for the broken and the messed up. So we need to have an understanding. What is sin, really? So we've got this idea of what sin is. You know, it's screwing up, it's messing up, it's doing the wrong thing. You look at the Ten Commandments, you break those, that's sin. Lying, stealing, cheating, all that kind of stuff. But really, when you boil down sin, there's a simple definition that I like that I think beautifully demonstrate what sin is. And it's very simply this. My way, not God's way. It's my way. Lord, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. Because God has said, I created you to live in this beautiful relationship of love with me, knowing my heart, knowing all that I represent, and for you to live in the freedom and the life and the hope and the joy and the love of my kingdom, my government, my heart. We've been created and crafted to live in relationship with our Heavenly Father. But many, 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 many generations ago, Adam and Eve made a decision. My way, not God's way. I'm going to do it the way that I think this should be done. I'm going to make my own decisions. Thanks, God, for the input. I'm going to do this. And sadly, terminal sin has entered into mankind. And we're infected with the same virus that causes us to be the living dead. Somehow alive, but dead inside because sin separates us from the essence of what we've been created for to be in life and relationship and love with God. And we insist on doing it our way instead of God's way. So what does the Bible tell us about sin? Romans 3.23 says, everybody's sinned. Everybody's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. Are there any who are righteous? No. This applies to everybody. We've all fallen short of God's heart and God's glory for us. Everybody's messed up. Everybody's broken. We've all sinned. So turn to the person next to you and say, you know what? I'm a little messed up. <laughs> Go ahead, talk to each other. I'm a little messed And then turn to the person on the other side and say, you know what? You're really messed up. <laughs> when we understand that Jesus is coming for messed up people, there's a freedom to be able to say, I'm messed up. I qualify. We all qualify. So what else does the Bible tell us about sin? Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't look at this and go, okay, you guys got to get your act together before I do something. Come on, get your, get your life in order. Fix things. Start to obey God. Get it right and then I'm going to intervene. No, He says, I'm going to intervene when you're in the midst of your separation, when you're in the midst of your brokenness, when you're lost with this terminal illness called sin, I'm going to come and break the power of that terminal illness. I'm going to show you 
our love, the love of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to demonstrate this. And while you're messed up and while you're telling us we're doing it our way, not your way, I'm coming down to say, oh, we're going to break the power of that which holds you captive so you can know the love of God. Is that an amen? Amen. I heard an amen. Yes, that's good news. So why is it good news? Because Romans 6, 23 tells us the wages of sin is death. It leads to separation from God. It leads to decay in this life and all the stuff we don't want to be living in. But the free gift of God is life in Jesus. Abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. You don't need to settle for this brokenness. We can discover life, be set free from the terminal effects of sin and enter into the life that God has for us as a free gift. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took our sins on Him, on the cross, broke the power of the curse of sin over our lives and rose from the dead to set us free into the life of God. We don't need to suffer the terminal effects of sin anymore. We're set free, and he who he sets free is free indeed for eternal life in him now and forever. Can I get an amen? Amen. Awesome, that's good news. So now how do we take advantage of that? Romans 10 verse 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We understand Jesus is God come to sacrifice and to save us, to set us free, to forgive us from our sin so that we might come into relationship with God. And we need to declare, yes, He is the way. He's made the way. And believe that He is who He says He is. The reality is, your sin doesn't disqualify you from the grace of and the mercy, and the forgiveness, and the life of God. It actually qualifies you. Because Jesus said, I'm come for sinners. Who qualifies? We do. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So our sin doesn't disqualify us. It qualifies us for His grace, and His mercy, and His forgiveness, and His life. What will disqualify us is our arrogance that continues to say, I'm going to do it my way, not your way. I'm going to do what I want, not what you want. I refuse to repent. I refuse to confess my sin and ask for your forgiveness. I refuse to realize that I am messed up and I'm broken. I continue to fall short, but Lord, you've made a way for me by your blood. It's our arrogance that will disqualify us. And I'll tell you something, that is the biggest issue we probably all deal with. The arrogance that says, no, I'm going to do it my way, not God's way. And I want to tell you a little bit about my story. But before I tell you that, it's important that we understand this truth. We cannot know Him if we don't see our sin. We cannot know Him if we don't see our sin. Seeing our sin is the prerequisite for knowing Him. Because if we don't see our sin, we don't see our need for a Savior. 
We've got to understand our brokenness and the depth of our depravity, really, to be able to understand the depth of God's love, the depth of His mercy, the depth of His grace, the depth of His forgiveness, the depth of the gift, the free gift of God, life. So it's a powerful thing when we actually see our sin and admit it and understand the depth of our brokenness. And my, my story... I grew up in a family that did not know God. There were no Jesus followers in my family. Uh, but, sorry, this <laughs> didn't happen last night. God broke into our family with a lightning bolt of his love. And it sadly was through the death of my mother. When I was a nine year old boy, my mother died quite suddenly, of a massive heart attack. And I I watched her have the heart attack. And uh, it rattled our family, shook us to our core. And my brother, who is 10 years older than me, he was 19 at the time, he was at university, and he got invited to a Bible study. And he met Jesus at this Bible study. Received God's gift of life and love for him. And he came home from university, changed at Christmas time. And we, we went skiing, my brother, my sister, myself, and my cousin. And they were all 19 and 20. I was nine. And uh, they left the lights on in the car up at Whistler. And when we got back, the battery was dead in the car. And, uh, and obviously, we couldn't drive. So we pushed it down the highway to get to the gas station. Whistler was nothing at that time. This was 1960, no, 71. 1971. And I was on the inside door handle of the car, pushing, and a car came down the highway at highway speed, did not see us because we have no lights. At the last minute saw us, began to hit its brakes, ran right over top of me. Drove right over top of me. I was trapped in the undercarriage of the car as it was skidding to a stop down the highway, and my body flopped underneath the car and ended up at the back of the car. And my brother came running up to the car, and actually pulled me out from the back bumper. And he just thought, well, death has visited our family again. Mom's dead, now Davy's dead. And they loaded me in the ambulance, but I was convulsing, I was in and out of consciousness, and uh, my brother prayed that Jesus would save my life in that ambulance, that he... Dang! I was not crying last night! And Jesus saved my life. I woke up in the hospital the next morning, had a chipped tooth. I'd had a cracked tibia, so I had a cast on my leg, and I'd had a concussion. I went home that afternoon. And I was back at school the next week. Our God is a powerful God. He is a good, good God. Preach it, brother. He is a good, good God. But I didn't know any of this happened because my memory was lost. I remember in the parking lot of the resort, and then I remember waking up in the hospital, nothing in between. But I went back to school, and I was different. The stuff that I used to get up to, and I, I cannot tell you, because it's quite embarrassing, what the road I was going down as a nine-year-old was not a good road. But I couldn't do those things anymore. And I thought, what's, what's going on? And then my brother started to invite me to Sunday school, and then I started to go to youth group. And when I was a teenager, I, I saw a movie called The Time to Run. It was a Billy Graham movie. Does anybody remember that? Early 70s, Time to Run. It's about a guy running from God, 
But you can't run from God when He's calling you. And He ends up surrendering, giving His life to Christ. And at the end of the movie, they invite people to come up to the front to give their lives to Christ. And I went up and I thought, i got to rededicate my life to Christ, but I could never remember when I met Him in the first place. So I rededicated my life. Then I got baptized, wanted to be a, an intentional follower of Jesus. And really got involved, started a, a Young Life club in my high school. Kids are getting to know Jesus. And I remember uh, we had a message one time at youth group. I was part of youth group. And uh, they, were the, they were preaching that God chooses the weak and foolish things of this world to confound the wise and shame the strong. And that message I found really depressing because I thought I must not be called then because I'm not weak and I'm not foolish. I hadn't seen my sin yet. I'd met Jesus without seeing my sin. And I continued on following Him and uh, into university and uh, started a Christian uh, club at university and began to lead the youth group at uh, our church and then began to lead the college and career and leading worship and I'm active and engaged. And, and then Ann and I got married and... Uh, you know, launching into all that married life has, and it was all exciting. We're involved in the church and serving in lots of different capacities. And then a number of years later, things started to fall apart in a big way, particularly in our marriage. And uh, God began to show me my sin that I was not aware of. But by His great mercy, He held a mirror up and help me to see the depth of my depravity. And it was actually very painful. Very painful. And at one point it felt like he had his hand on the back of my head forcing me to look in the mirror to see the depth of my sin. And I'm trying to move my head back and not look and not see. And he said, no, 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 you need to see this. You need to see the depth of your sin and your brokenness and your depravity or you can never experience the depth of my love and my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness. You'll never know me if you can't see the depth of your own brokenness. And I began to see how selfish and self-centered I was, how it was about me and it wasn't about other people. And even though I'm serving other people and giving, it was really for what I could get out of it. It wasn't for them. I began to see how I would use my gifts and abilities to serve me so that people would give, give me approbation and affirmation so that they would think I'm awesome. It wasn't to glorify God. It wasn't spending myself for His benefit. It's using my gifts really to manipulate people to make me feel valuable and worthwhile. I fed off the praise of people instead of the affirmation of my Father. That's where my, significant, my significance was coming from. And that's called idolatry. I'm really worshiping myself. And the Lord showed me something so deep. And it was scary. Because He said, you want to be worshipped. That's what Satan wanted. And I realized that's true. I wanted the affirmation of people, and that's really wanting to be worshipped. 
And it broke me. I was broken. And, all, and almost at the point of hopelessness with my brokenness, in a pit of despair, wondering, is God big enough to save a wretch like me? And I was walking around our neighborhood. I was crying, trying to talk to God, but just feeling the weight of all my sin. And one of my buddies was driving by, and he sees me. And he pulls over. He goes, Dave, how you doing? Ooh, you're not doing very well. I said, Kelly... I am so broken. I'm such a mess. I'm such a sinner. I'm total screw up. This is so bad. And this guy was kind of a brash, flippant guy. And he says to me, well, God's known that about you for years. He's just letting you see it now. (laughs) Gotta go. (laughs) Dude, that's not helpful. (laughs) But it was exactly what I needed to hear. Because the Lord said, he's right. I've known that about you for years. I've known you're a screw-up. I know you're selfish and self-centered and arrogant. I know you wanted to be worshipped. I know you're more concerned about the praise of men than my affirmation of truth. But I'm giving you the gift of seeing your sin so you can know me deeper. Because we can't know him if we don't see the depth of our sin. And then I was reading in Romans, the beginning of Romans, where it talks about the just shall live by faith. None are righteous. None are without sin. But God demonstrates His love for us. While we're sinners, He died for us and made a way. And we live by faith in the work that He's done. It's not about us. It's about Him. And I discovered the freedom The freedom of knowing I am messed up, but He's broken the curse. He's made a way for me to experience all His life and love and hope and strength and freedom and faith and healing. All of that in the midst of my brokenness. It's by His grace. It's by His mercy. It says, I turn and say, Lord, I can't, but You can. Not my will, but Your will. And He goes, yeah, baby, we're back in business. And now you get it in a way you never got it before. Because the forgiveness that we get for our sin is not an end in itself. The forgiveness is a means to an end. And the means, the end is to be in right relationship with our Father as a beloved daughter, as a beloved son of God. That's the end game. That we're back in relationship with our Father, knowing His heart, discovering all that He has for us and all that He has through us to other people. The forgiveness is the transition. The curse of sin is broken. And we can live with a new heart. He gives us a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. It's the most beautiful trade ever offered mankind. You want to talk free trade agreements? (laughs) This is the greatest free trade agreement that's ever been offered mankind. You give me your broken, sinful heart and I will give you a healed, full heart, free You give me your heart that's wounded, I'll give you a healed heart. You give me a heart of despair, I'll give you a heart of hope. You give me a weak heart, I'll give you a strong heart. You give me a heart that's got death and destruction all over, I will give you a heart that's alive. Because there's two families, two houses, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. There's a father that rules the kingdom of darkness, and that 
father's name is the father of lies. It's meant to keep us captive to lies. And the father of this family is our father God, the father of light. The culture of this family is love. The culture of this family is death and destruction and hatred and enmity and jealousy and resentment and bitterness and brokenness and despair and discouragement and hopelessness and heaviness. That's a bad family. Can I hear you say, that's a bad family. But that's the family that we are all born into. And God comes and says, no, there's a different family. There's a family of love and life and hope and encouragement and healing and strength and faith and glory and goodness. Why don't you join the family? Who wouldn't want to join the family? I don't want to live in this anymore. I want to live in that. And at the door to this house is Jesus. He says, I can make a way for you. Because I've died through my death on the cross and my resurrection. I've broken the curse of sin that's kept you trapped in that family. You couldn't leave that family anymore before I came. Now I've made a way. You cross the street. You're welcome in the family. And I'm the only way in. Acts 4 verse 12 says this. Salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven and earth given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the one at the door who opens up the door and says, through me you can know new life. You can know your Father. Your true Father. He's got love and life and hope and goodness for you. Make that trade. Jesus said Himself in John 14, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And everybody qualifies. Because he came calling all sinners. Calling all sinners. I'm looking for people who understand they're broken. I'm looking for people who understand they're messed up. I'm looking for people who understand they fall short. I understand a people. I'm looking for people who understand they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're sick and tired of living in oppression and discouragement and despair. They're saying there's got to be a way out of this. And Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the way out of this. And I'm looking for a few bad people like you. Because <laughs> we're all messed up. And I'm going to make you good because I'm going to break the power of sin. No longer is it a terminal illness through me, through my power, the power of my blood. And we get to live in the family of God, in the life of God. Is that a good deal? Amen. I, I'm, I'm a business guy. I'm an entrepreneur. And you do deals, different kinds of deals. I've made some good deals. I've made some bad deals. But you learn to see what's a good deal. This is a good deal. This is a really good deal. An exceptionally good deal. So we want to provide opportunity today for people to make that trade. Say, okay. Jesus goes, I'm looking for some sinners. And we're looking for people who say, yeah, I qualify. That's me. Jesus, I want out of this family and I want into that family. He says, yes. We'll do that. What did Romans tell us? If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. We're transitioned into the family. And for those of us who are in the family... Oftentimes, we feel embarrassed by our sin. And we want to hide it. We don't want to look at it. We want to sweep it under the carpet and not deal with it. 
Because we think, oh, that's just me. Everybody else is perfect. Well, what, what does the Bible tell us? Everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. Remember, our sin doesn't disqualify us. Our arrogance will. Sweeping it under the carpet, pretending we're not, we don't have sin issues is arrogance. In 1 John 1, John tells us this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. He forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His Word isn't in us. I believe if we truly want to experience all the life and the love and the healing and the hope the encouragement that God has for us. We're radical confessors of our brokenness. We don't try to hide it. We become radical confessors. Yes, I I dropped the ball. I screw up. Lord, thank You that when I confess my sins, You forgive me and cleanse me and I'm moving forward a step at a time. I'm not as bad as I was, but I'm not as good as I'm going to be. Because by your grace, by the power of your Spirit, I'm moving forward deeper into all the life that you have for me and for others through me. So, the band's going to come up. Let's stand together. So, we're going we're gonna to sing, and then we're going to have a little break. After that, I'll provide opportunity to respond. But right now, I'd encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever you're feeling, if you're one of those people that's saying, I want to make that big trade. I want to shift from that dark house into this family of light and love. You can begin to express that to God in this song. And for those of you who realize, you know what? I don't understand the depth of my sin. I sweep it under the carpet. I'm not radical in looking at my brokenness and offering it to the Lord. You can offer it to God in here and even pray, Lord, help me to see with greater clarity, the depth of my brokenness so I can know you in the depth of your grace and your mercy and your love.